0: We can never be satisfied to simply go to church. Family of God, we must be the church.
1: Here at Community Church, our goal for you is to connect with God, with each other, and with your purpose. This is the Community Church Podcast.
2: Welcome to... Church Podcast. I'm Jim Muscavich here with Dennis Hartzell and Chris Graham as we are embarking on Ephesians 6, 1-9. through 9. Last time we talked about how God designed husbands and wives to work together to meet each other's needs. And now we're moving on to the other relationships that most of us have are the parenting and child relationship and also the boss-employee relationship. And I've never really talked about these in the same setting, though I think it's very good because there's the natural authority that God has given. And that's the big idea that I had, that God's design for authority is kindness and obedience. So that's how things are supposed to work together, that the person in authority is looking out for the needs of the person below them, but then the person who is under authority, their basic thing is to... Obey. And a couple of observations I had was um, having authority naturally brings out sinful desires of power and control. Unfortunately, we are all born with a sinful nature, and authority is going to naturally want us to have power, to have control. And that can uh, be seen in parenting and in a boss. And also, if you are under authority, um, being under authority brings rebellion and apathy so those those are kind of big things that uh need to be addressed the person in authority naturally wants to have power and control and the person below wants to rebel or just just uh, be apathetic those are some quick observations that i made um you guys have any other observations in these verses
1: yeah In my current role at my job i'm both a boss and also a servant so i kind of see both sides of this Um, One thing that definitely stuck out to me was verse 9. You know, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is in both uh, their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So, you know, there should be a mutual honor and respect from the employees to the employers and vice versa. And, um, you know, it it boggles my mind sometimes when I hire people. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate I get some feedback to know that they are seeing Um, you know, Christ-like character through our interactions because they say, wow, you know, you actually care about us. Uh, You don't cuss me out. I didn't know other people did that. You know, that's just kind of foreign to me. So um, being able to have that Christ-like character, being able to treat others how uh, I want to be treated and that mutual respect goes a long way. And when they know that you genuinely care about them, they are that much more willing to work with you and to, uh, to support the needs of the company. I
0: I like the idea of where it talks in verses 5 and 6 and 7 about the idea that you don't, uh, you are working as though you're working for Christ. I think if uh, a lot of us um, take that seriously, then it doesn't matter that our boss is looking over our shoulder or that we have to, you know, be, be accountable to them in the fact that we're just doing the very best we can do all the time. It says in verse 7, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So just to to work as though I'm uh, trying to please the Lord, um, it does get a little irritating to me when I go to some of these um, retail places and the employees are, are not treating you like, uh, like a customer. Uh, And that just kind of irritates me that they are not working as though their boss was watching them, let alone Christ was watching them. So it's just uh, interesting to me that.
2: It's difficult for me. Um, A lot of us are in survival mode when we go to our jobs. We want to get our job done. And it's hard for me to remember that, yes, my job is um, to look and remember Christ That I'm working for Christ and yes I have a role to play but uh, having that as my mindset and also parenting Uh, it's definitely especially the younger years you're definitely in survival mode where you're just trying to make it through the next hour the next day and looking into the future is difficult for parents because it's all new they're just trying to make sure that they get four hours worth of sleep or they're trying to get their child for the hundredth time to go on the potty. It, it, it is difficult and hopefully we can uh, slow people down to start thinking about parenting as not just survival, but how we can raise them to be more uh, Christ-like. So I have a couple questions about parenting. So we get to vent a little bit. All right. Either <laughs> observations you've had, but we'll do the kind of the negative side. What is the worst parenting practice you've observed and we're not saying that if you've done this that you're a terrible parent <laughs> no, no 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 we're all trying to figure this out but from from years of parenting experience and observation what's one thing that's like i kind of wish this would just go away
1: to me i think the biggest struggle i have are parents who are inconsistent or just lazy um you know they get on the kids one time about something but not the next time they just don't follow through and so, we're starting to send mixed messages to our children, who then start becoming more and more mischievous. Um, and so, to me, that's one of my biggest struggles. Even talking about it right now, my, my blood starts pumping a little bit. But just, uh, you know, it's easier to yell at them across the house and actually get up and go and address the issue and, uh, and deal with it. So, oof, yeah.
2: Oh, I agree. It's, it, when I've seen it at the store. You're in the toy aisle just looking. And not every time, a lot of times, you know what the answer is as a parent. Not always. But, but sometimes you're a kid, hey, I would like to have that car. And you're like, no, we're not going to buy anything today. And what does the kid do inevitably is to throw a tantrum or keep pestering. And after two or three times, I've seen it where a parent says, okay, you can get one. And it's like, you knew the answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You knew what to do. You got to be the parent. And, you know, sometimes you got to you gotta be consistent, Like like Chris said.
0: I got just two thoughts. Your question was, uh, worst parenting practices you have seen or experienced. I got to share. A, well, that's kind of comical now in my own life, but I had two brothers and we were probably 12, 11 and seven. Uh, one of my brothers, one of us had messed up a bed in the bedroom after my mom had made all the beds in the bedroom. We all three slept in the same room. And that really irritated my mother that one of the beds was messed up. Uh, I mean, not a huge mess up. Just the the bedspread was wrinkled or something. So she comes in and she demands to know who messed up who messed up this bedspread. Well, me and my younger brother, eleven and twelve year old, we look at each other. Uh, not us. We looked at our youngest brother and he goes, not me. So my mom said, okay, you're all getting punished, <laughs> yeah. and we all three got spanked. <laughs> Back then you did spanking. And uh we did we all three got spanked and, and we're all whimpering in our room while she goes into the kitchen and tells us to think about that for a while. And I looked at my one brother and I go, You didn't do it, did you? He goes, No, I didn't. I looked we looked at our younger brother and he goes, I did it <laughs> <laughs> so so we could laugh about that now. But at the time, I thought, you know what? If I ever get to be a parent, I'm never going to spank all three kids just because I don't know who did what was wrong. But So that's one thing I've experienced that's kind of humorous. But one thing that wasn't so humorous, I once had a boss. who He was in his 30s. I was in my late 20s. And we were on a trip together. And he said, hey, let's swing by and see my parents. Now, this boss of mine in his 30s was a little harsh, a little judgmental, uh, Not not fun to work for or with too much, but I said, sure, let's go see your parents. And we uh, spent, went, took them out to eat and I had an evening with them. But I learned, I got great insight as to why my boss uh, was uh, so hard on others. It was because his mom and dad constantly berated him as a 30-year-old in front of a stranger in a restaurant about his appearance, about, you know, things in his life. And she says, look at Dennis here. He's got his shirt tucked in and it's all ironed and everything. And he was just, you know... uh, so it helped me to get insight into him mm-hmm. as to why he was so harsh on others and and wasn't you know didn't really display uh, l- kindness toward others because he wasn't raised in an atmosphere. So my uh, thing is you know uh, don't compare your kids with each other with other kids or with their other siblings. That's just uh, just a not way to go.
2: Um, worst parenting practices I've seen a lot of them, and also as a teacher I've seen even more. So from a teacher uh, perspective. The worst thing is not letting your kid fail. I can't tell you how many parents email me when a kid's grade is not up to snuff. Hmm. And some of them are fantastic. Hey, is my kid working hard? What can they do that's better? And I respond and say, hey, you know, sometimes it's, hey, the kid's doing the best they can. Um, And some parents are like, great, okay. It's okay that they get a B and not an A. But then there's other parents where, They just refuse to let their kid get any type of grade that's worse than they expected. And they'll do everything for the child. They're called, um, now now they're not just helicopter parents, they're uh, uh, snowplow parents, where they'll push all the problems away for their child. And I teach high school and it's by then, hopefully you're letting high schoolers do more and more by themselves. So sometimes even failing a class could be the best thing for them. So uh, my, my suggestion to parents is let them try, let them fail. We do it when they're one or two, when they're trying to learn how to walk. or like, hey, go for it. And they're gonna fall, they're gonna fall, they're gonna fall, and then they finally succeed. They have that gratification that they succeeded, that they did it by themselves. So not letting your kid fail can be a huge um, problem for uh, kids. Mm-hmm. So now, We have, let's see, how many years of parenting uh, experience do we have? We got like, I don't know, we got like 60 years of parenting advice here. Um, So advice for parenting, and I'll start this time, uh, I'll keep rambling, um, is for look for compliments. I definitely, when I'm at home with my kids, I get on them about this and I get on them about their room and about not taking care of their dishes. And I could just be negative all the time. But look for ways to compliment. Look for ways to say, you did a great job. You are a hard worker. You are beautiful. Hey, what a great job you did as a leader. Great work. And uh, try to find ways to compliment and not just be negative. That's definitely for me. I definitely find all the negatives and say, hey, you could fix this, this, and this. And I forget that I need to compliment them. God's word in this passage specifically talks to fathers where you don't want to be a burden on your kid and i I tend to do that i think all of us fathers we have this weird we want our kids to succeed so we have this weird warped view that if we continue to nitpick and and push them that they're going to do that but that that is not what we want to be so find ways to compliment them. So, Dennis, you got uh, words of wisdom for us?
0: Uh, sure, just a, just a couple here. Um, again, I would advocate for family devotions. I know in this day and age, you know, to say you're going to do that seven days a week or six days a week may be almost too discouraging to think about, but pick one day a week pick uh, Thursday nights. You know, you're going to have uh, family time where you're going to read the Bible, pray together. I would encourage you to do that. Not legalistic about it. If you got to run off to a little league game, you don't have time, oh, we're going to have this before we go type of attitude. But I would just encourage you to at least consider that. Um, I guess advice would be to encourage the strengths of each of your kids as you see them, just like Jim just said. Uh, as you see them do good, catch them doing good things and praise them for it. If you see that they do have some leadership skills, encourage them along that. If they're very encouraging to others, uh, uh, you know, encourage them in that, that they're, they're great at encouraging other people. So whatever gifts you see them doing, um, you know, encourage them to further develop those gifts.
2: To piggyback on that, sorry to cut Chris off here, is uh, for us, I wouldn't say we necessarily have a devotional time, but we do eat meals together um, regularly. And on almost every day of the week, we practice the verse for Sunday. So we at our church, we have a verse that we go through. So the first time we read it, try to discuss what do you think this verse actually means? And then we try to memorize it. So that's a good way for us to talk about God. Um, but then on Sundays, I always talk to the kids about what they learned. Hey, what did you learn? And we debrief their lesson and though that's ways that we try to make god normal in our life that you know talking about god is not just a one-time thing or you know just we we open the book of luke on christmas um but that's ways that we try to make god normal chris you got uh, advice uh for parenting
1: Yeah, I know. I totally agree with what you said earlier, too, about kind of having that negative outlook and kind of being a taskmaster, if you will. I mean, that's certainly something I'm guilty of more often than not. Uh, And my wife is usually pretty good about reminding me, hey, why don't you tell them something good they did and be positive? (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, But I would say for me, too, I think the other thing, you know, I have two uh, children who are homeschooled, so they may not have all the same social interactions that a lot of other uh, children have. But it's important for me, I want to make sure they can see what healthy, again, healthy conflict looks like and conflict resolution, and um, whether that's, you know, maybe Steph and I had a disagreement in front of them or whatever, I want to make sure that they also see that get closed and and what that looks like, and even if it's between my my son or my daughter and I, I want to make sure they know I'm not afraid to apologize, and they know how also to apologize and to say i'm sorry i think that can be fairly taboo in some in some situations with some families but for me it's just important that they get exposed to that early on and they kind of see what that healthy side of conflict looks like
2: so moving on to the boss employee relationship and i have been an employee for over half Uh, my life, I've been an employee um, at various different jobs and I've had lots of different bosses. So I'll again start with the negative, um, the worst boss practices that you've seen or experienced.
0: Well I I remember one boss that he hardly ever said thank you. Um, His attitude was we're paying you to do a job so why should I tell you thank you? The pay is our thank you for working for us, I guess. Uh, also, the same boss was really, I'll call it cheap. You could put other words to it. But he really spent money to make the job easier, or more enjoyable. Uh, with just some expenditures, you know, it could have just made the job so much better. Uh, they put the company first type attitude versus, you know, employees. At least nowadays, you see more and more of that. Uh, cut the employees are valued. You used to didn't see that so much. And then again, just uh, this same boss is very critical. Uh, few compliments at all. Uh, never, like I said, rarely said thank you. So those are some of the worst practices I've seen.
1: I think for me, you know, the worst uh, boss that I had was a micromanager. And I'm not a huge fan because that, to me, I mean, it could just be their personality and their style, um, but it really conflicts with me in that it it kind of relates, or the um, the message that I perceive or take away is that they don't trust me. And they don't trust me to do the job that they hired me to do. And I've, I've actually listened to some interviews with um, head football coaches at other places, and they always get some of the best coordinators in the country because they know that they're going to be able to come in, they're going to be given free reign of whatever area it is, and they're going to be allowed to practice their specialty without being micromanaged. And so to me, that's one of the worst that um, uh, issues that I have.
2: Uh, for me, in the area that I've seen it, um, I'm a school teacher. Is that bosses or people above me? They are not willing to do the hard work. They maybe they're there for time, but they're not going to. They're going to, as they work their way up, they will find ways to. Oh, that's difficult. I'll put that off into someone else. Or this is a difficult thing to be able to do. I'm above that. I'm not going to actually take some of the dirty work. Um, as you will, but there the, one story that I had that doesn't have to do with teaching is I worked over at a um, it's a Nature Valley, and I'm sure the person's long gone. Uh, but it's a lawn and garden shop, you can buy flowers and such. I worked there for one summer, helping people with uh, getting bags of dirt and anything. Anyway, I had this boss, and she, she whatever reason doesn't like me, and I didn't know why, of course, but uh, didn't like me. And one day, we weren't that busy, I was organizing uh, something and she was potting some plants. So she was putting dirt and flowers in it. Great. Again, no customers are around. She spills some dirt on the floor. So what does she do? She calls me over to clean it up. And I I could not think of a more degrading thing at the time uh, for me was to pick up someone's mess when they could have done it themselves and that picture of them not doing the dirty work, actually, in this case, um, just resonated with me, and that relationship was not nearly as good uh, for me. So we'll go on the positive. The best boss uh, practices that you've seen or observed?
0: Well, I had a boss once. I'll name him. His name is Terry Smith uh, in Toledo, Ohio. worked for him for 14 years, and he was the best boss. I I just really enjoyed. And uh, one thing I noticed he did was he complimented everyone that worked underneath him at least once every week. I asked him about it once. I said, yeah, you, you know, you're always saying thank you. You're always stating compliments. Now, what's the deal? He goes, well, he heard that at a seminar once, and uh, he put it into practice. And it was almost like every time he saw you, he said something good about you. But at least once a week was his goal to compliment or say thank you to people. And I saw him do that regularly after I mentioned it to him and was observing him. Uh, the other thing was whenever he did correct you or had to, you know, change something, uh, he was so kind about it you almost didn't know that you were being corrected he <laughs> almost walked out going i think he just corrected me on something he was just so kind about pointing out to you something he wanted changed he didn't call you names or berate you or raise his voice or get overly excited about it and then uh the other last thing i mentioned was he would he was willing to spend money to make your job easier more enjoyable he saw you as a valued employee and if you came to him and said, man, if we had this tool, if we had this uh, lighting, whatever, this would just make this so much more enjoyable. He did whatever he could do, if it was within reason, to uh, to take care of that for you, which made you even feel more valued and like him even more.
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's my current employer, uh, Todd Teason. And I know some people out there listening might know Todd and his wife, Pasha, who went here for a few years. And, um, you know, Todd is very much the same way, Dennis. He's He's really easy to get along with. He's very low-key. And you know he genuinely cares about you. And he's willing to make those same investments. Um, And it might even be investing in your idea. He might even know it's not going to pan out. But he still wants to let you know that he he values that. And he appreciates it. And he's going to put in that time and effort. And, uh, you know, much to your worst boss experience, Jim, Todd was never afraid to get out there and get dirty with us. And there's been a few times where we got a container of, uh, of material in from China and he'll get out there with us and help unload that trailer sometimes. And so he, he's willing to get down and dirty with us if needed. So what a great example for us.
2: Um, for me is Chris said it is when a boss lets me do my job and does not nitpick um, when he's not micromanaging, looking at me all the time and lets me do my thing um, and then when I do something and it's not a hundred percent great but it's it's good that they praise me and say hey that's a good job way to go even when it wasn't perfect um, I'm very much a, if something's not perfect but good don't look at the five percent that wasn't great uh, compliment the 95 percent but when a boss lets me do my job um, I'm more apt to do better um, We Chris had a couple of questions kind of for Dennis, who's the uh, parenting expert, I have a ten. There we are. I have a ten-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter, so i i guess I'm an expert for kind of elementary, kinda. But Dennis has gone through it all. I'm sure Chris and I will chime in. Um, but uh, two questions Dennis uh, we wanted to address is number one, Dennis, how do you think we should or how you did balance discipline too harsh? And then uh, we have another question after that. But you talk about that, how you uh, discipline your children, where you want to make sure they got the point without being too harsh.
0: Yeah, sure. I think the biggest thing is to make sure that when you are correcting them or disciplining them, you don't crush their spirit. Uh, you can correct them, with obviously, without yelling, calling them names, belittling, comparing them to the other siblings or other kids. Uh, so yeah, don't crush their spirit. And you can tell that almost by looking at their face uh, when you're disciplining them. Whatever you're doing, whether it's a timeout or a, a mild spanking or whatever, you can tell whether you've crushed their spirit. Uh, make sure they understand that you love them and are cheering for them and that you're on their side. You're just trying to help them uh, you know, be a better person. Uh, make sure they, uh, that they know the limits of uh, what they're supposed to be doing and the consequences of it. If a child, you know, supposedly, hopefully, if they know that if you lie to me, there's going to be consequences. If you cheat, you know, there's going to be consequences. So as long as they understand the limits that's very clear, clearly made to them, and then they understand the consequences. Then lastly, uh, just tell them when they're doing something right. We already mentioned that earlier. Just make sure you're not always (laughs) catching them doing wrong things, but to tell them, hey, that was a good job type of thing.
1: You know, one thing I was going to ask you about this, and this is, You know, a side question. You know, I came from a family of essentially six children, and I was the youngest. And some, um, as you can imagine, the personalities are a little bit different between all of them. And so I would know sometimes in some situations, maybe one would need a spanking, where if another person did the same exact thing, they wouldn't need that. Mm -hmm. They just need a firm talking to how do you balance that? Because I'm sure all three of your kids had a little bit of a different personality and flair to them. So how do you juggle that? Right. Yeah, no,
0: great question. The <laughs> It's kind of funny. As, we, as my wife and I look back on it now, we were probably a little too hard on our firstborn. <laughs> uh, we didn't <laughs> want him to be a criminal. We wanted to turn out to be an upright citizen of the United States. And so we were probably a little bit uh, too hard on him. So, uh, you know, uh, that was that's one thing to, you know, make sure that you're not uh, doing that. But... Um, the uh, just the idea of uh, of understanding your child uh, it goes back a little bit to the love languages thing. Gary uh, Chapman has written a book now, The Love Languages of Your Child. And uh, so to understand how they're different. And, and yeah, you're right, Chris, you know, my kids a little bit. Uh, uh, Brian got more spankings than any other kids. Uh, <laughs> Michelle, our next daughter, five years younger, uh, we would just look at her crossly, and that was enough. Uh, she'd start crying and not do that ever again, whatever that was. And then our third one probably got one spanking. And uh, so, you know, and, and he didn't respond to looks either, but we just got, we, we uh, became uh, more relaxed in our discipline when we understood our child better, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's the the point I would want to make is you got to know your child. You have to spend time with them and get to know them. And also discipline. I, for me, I would love for things to be quick. Discipline just change your behavior quickly, move on. Great. That when there are some things that, that can you know, hey, that's not polite at the table. That that's a ten second conversation. But there are longer conversations about stealing or cheating or. Um, pushing the other kids, where you have to sit down, you have to talk to them, maybe you need to go cool off, Um, but you have to sit, you have to talk to them, you have to show them um, that you care and get to know your child. Because my children are way different. Um, I almost have to be harsher on my son Tate because he bounces back from everything. He'll find good, and almost even in discipline, I, I've I've taken something away I've taken half of his cars away and then he would respond oh at least I have half left and it's like I gotta make sure I kind of do harsh enough uh, discipline for him because uh, he bounces back so quickly whereas my daughter takes internalizes things a lot more where I have to reassure her that our relationship is still good that I love her that even though she's done something wrong we want her to change but we love her and I have to listen to maybe why she did something a little bit more. But that takes time, and I'm looking forward to the teen years where I get to do this. Um, Not really, but uh, I know that uh, listening and maybe not talking, even though that's really how I process things is talking. I need to, as a parent, probably listen a little bit more.
1: I think for me, one of the struggles I have sometimes is after a long day at work, I'm maybe a little more tweaked or irritable than normal, and so I would think it's commonplace for a lot of folks who may discipline even out of anger and take it to that extreme and overreact when you know really wasn't that big of a deal. But then that's to me. We talked a little bit about it earlier having that follow up of apologizing, you know, owning it, and uh, and moving on from that together.
2: All right, Dennis, you have if there was. Uh, One last question we had. Anything you wish you would have done differently with your family?
0: Uh, Well, like I said, I was uh, probably too hard on our firstborn, so that's one thing I would have changed probably. We were just so concerned he wouldn't try out to be a lazy bum that we wanted to make sure he was disciplined properly. And he has turned out to be a great young man, but but we probably were a little hard on him. Uh, But I guess uh, personally uh, one of my weaknesses is I can – uh, raise my voice uh, more often than I should. So if I could do something different, I would have uh, just calmed myself first before I spoke and made sure that I, you know, that I was speaking in a loving, kind uh, attitude as much as possible. Uh, so those are kind of two things. I wish I had complimented a little more. Uh, like we talked about earlier, touching on their gifts uh, kind of helped direct them in a certain direction when I realized, uh, when I could realize myself what their gifts were and complimented them in those areas a little more.
2: Well, that wraps up the um, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. We have one more part of Ephesians uh, next time if you would like to finish out chapter number 6. And again, we're hoping to have podcasts about marriage, about parenting. Um, Please give us some info, uh, some questions you want answered or some feedback. You can email us at info at evansburg.church and now Dennis has a book for me.
0: Hey, buddy. Most of you have heard of Dave Ramsey, I'll call the money guy. Well, today we will be reviewing a book entitled Rich Dad, Poor Dad, written by Robert Kiyosaki. In many ways, the suggestions on how to spend your money put forth by Dave Ramsey are very similar to the suggestions in this book. In the Ramsey books on money, you mainly get advice that your elderly grandmother, who lived during the Great Depression of 1929, would have given you. In Mr. Kiyosaki's book, the advice comes from a friend's dad. Throughout the book you hear through the eyes and ears of a young teenager the advice given by his own father and the advice given by his friend's father. His own father is a college professor and very smart educationally. His friend's dad is a lot less educated but very smart in the art of growing his money and is therefore very rich. All through the book the author gives numerous examples of what the rich dad tries to teach both boys concerning making wise money decisions. Some criticize the book because they think it is not based on a true story, as the author insinuates. It really doesn't matter to me if it is true or not because the advice is sound advice. I would say the main thing I didn't like is the attitude that it presents toward the average working person. Often the blue-collar worker is made fun of because they, quote, work for other people, unquote. I believe most people are supposed to work for other people. We all can't be business owners however over forty million copies have been sold and is still rated as the number one bestseller on the topic of how to grow your money I found the book to be enjoyable and easy to read the constantly changing perspective between his own dad and his neighbors uh, dad kept my interest I do believe it is a good starter book for most people and that it gives good advice on how to make simple money decisions as well as a challenging perspective on how to view money and assets I give the book a 4.8 out of 5 Again, it is not a Christian book, but many ideas are worth considering as we all seek to be good stewards of the money that the Lord has given us. Thanks for listening, and keep listening for the trumpet.